Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare, with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of Hennepin Healthy Matters here on Hennepin Healthcare Show for Healthy Matters. A lot of H's there. There's a lot of <laughs> Good morning, Keep Denny. There good are morning, a lot. Doctor. And, you know, we've had a kind of a name change. We're Hennepin That's Healthcare true. now, but, you know, we're still HCMC. The you hospital still have still, the hospital. We still hospital HCMC. HCMC. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so everybody yeah. knows who we are. I'm downtown Minneapolis. It's just that we're a bigger system now, so we thought So to make it easier, we call it Hennepin. Just say Hennepin, yeah. yeah. We know who you are. Who would have thought there'd be a whole hospital system named after a... What was he, an Italian monk or something? Who, Father, Father Hennepin. Father Hennepin, yeah, who came, absolutely. it was the first European to, to come up the river. Come up the river, right. right. Well, we have, as I mentioned earlier, as you know, Doctor, we're doing an open line show today, not any particular topic. So if you do have a question about you, a loved one, whatever the case may be, a general health question for the doctor, call it in or send a text. We're getting both already. Uh, there is a line open if you want to use it. You know, we tend to get busy when we do the open line show, so don't wait. 651-989-9226 is the phone number, or if it's easier, uh, send a text, 81807-81807. I was thinking uh, yesterday, thinking about our show today, uh, about uh, if you at the hospital have seen any uh, cases or heard of uh, the flu coming along. Yeah. I have not. No, um, I haven't personally seen a case yet, but as I was sneezing my way in <laughs> to the hospital, I sneezed about 22 times in between South but You and I both and, uh, deal with allergies. Yeah, I think that's allergies. But it got me thinking about this very topic, uh. about about flu. And, and uh, there have been isolated cases everywhere now, but they're, they're just here and there. Yeah. So um, it's hard to say what the flu season is going to be like. If people remember last year, all the way back to last year, we had the worst flu season last year in decades. Just and and who could have predicted? You know, it's just so hard to know. But last year, I read a statistic that was really a surprising. It was something like forty-four million people came down with flu. You know, just of some kind, and like a million of them ended up in the hospital. And 80,000 people, 80,000 died of influenza wow. last year, which is... That was last year. Last year, and, and like a couple hundred kids. And so it was, um, that, that's like double or triple the normal number of deaths. Now, don't quote me on those numbers. Don't write all those down. But it's roughly those numbers. It was incredible. 80,000 people um, uh, from influenza. That just goes to show how serious it can be. And then there was millions of others who weren't feeling so well. So... So um, we're back to our, our usual fall um, mantra, and that means get your flu shot. There's a, there's a few things you can do to, to reduce your risk of the flu. One is that flu shot, and we've heard, the, we've heard the arguments over and over about it's not a perfect thing. Well, gee, your seatbelt's not perfect either. The safety net underneath the circus acrobat's not perfect either, but you still have it. And it does reduce your severity if you do get the flu and it will prevent many cases. And getting the flu shot is the single best thing we can do to protect our communities. It's not just to protect you. In fact, I've kind of shifted my message a little bit. People all the time tell me I've never gotten the flu shot and I've never gotten the flu. You know, it's a 35-year-old. 
Yeah, but there's a two-year-old that you're going to come in contact with who's much more vulnerable than you. Or there's a 79-year-old person who's much more vulnerable than you. So you don't get the flu shot just to protect yourself. You get the flu shot to protect your loved ones and to protect vulnerable people in our community. It's a group effort. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a, a concept called herd immunity, like a cattle herd. And the, oh, something only like half the people got the flu shot last year. We're letting our neighbors down if we don't get the shot. So the other things you can do is um, wash your hands frequently. If you're coughing and sneezing, do that into your elbow or into a tissue as opposed to your bare hand. Because then when you sneeze into your bare hand, and I see my colleagues doing it, doctors are doing that. They're sneezing into their bare hand. And I'm thinking, come on, people, don't do that. Because then you touch a doorknob and then some poor sap comes along 30 seconds later on that doorknob and gets your germs. So wash your hands, sneeze into a tissue or your elbow and get your flu shot. Those are those are the fall tips that you're always going to hear from me. And maybe 52 weeks a year, too. When yeah, you think exactly. About you should it. do some of those things all year long. <laughs> uh, let's go to the phones. Nancy is calling from uh, Bloomington with a question. Nancy, the doctor's listening. Okay, thank you. Um, is there anything you can put in water um, to disinfect it if I need to um, cure an infection in, my, in a foot? Uh, n- the short answer, Nancy, is No. Um, you can disinfect water for sure. You can disinfect it so much so that you can, you know, drink unclean water by putting like those tablets that hikers use and campers. But, but I would suggest that, um, it might not matter in your case. Uh, um, I've never, uh, I, I've never heard of that. So for home use, uh, you, you're, there's no point in sterilizing water to clean your own skin if that's what you're attempting to do. Because the bacteria are on your skin, not in the water. I mean, they're in the water too, but, but they're, it, it isn't going to hurt anything. Now, if you have an infection inside your body, it doesn't matter what you put on the skin. And so I, I've not heard of that. Now, when we in, now there's a, a caveat to that. When we're in the hospital and we're trying to sterilize an open wound, we do indeed use sterile water. It comes out of a bottle, and and it's completely sterilized of, of bacteria. That's a more of a medical procedure when we're cleaning out wounds. At home, if you're infected, whatever you have is infected badly enough that it needs that, you should be in a hospital to do that. You can use soap and water to clean most of your home skin conditions. I hope that was helpful, Nancy. I, I don't think you need to sterilize the water, I guess, is my my main point. I'm trying to okay. trying to put that in a succinct form, but I don't think you need to. All right. Uh, let's see who's next. Jerry is calling in from uh, Stillwater. Jerry, you're on CCO with the doctor. Good morning. Yes. <clears throat> doctor, I have a question. And uh, my wife has what they call Lewy body dementia. Right. Yeah. It affects the mind. Uh, sometimes she's normal and sometimes she imagines things. Now, it first started out with, with balance problems. And we took her to three hospitals down Stillwater and then to regions. And, they, and finally, they come up with this, and it's, there's evidently no cure for that. It's, it's, and uh, it's terminal, as to my understanding. She's in a care center now. And I was wondering if there's anything, if that ever, if they ever get over that, is that really a, for sure a terminal yeah, thing? Yeah, those are great questions, Jerry. I want to ask you, Jerry, um, does she, has she also been given the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease? <clears throat> the first time she went in, in regions, the first doctor 
felt her all over it. He said, ah, I'm sure we found it. He said, I think it's Parkinson's. But then he gave her something, and the next day it wasn't Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. And another doctor told her to quit taking uh, Alprozolam and Vanix for uh, uh, anxiety. Yeah. And he yeah. said that will, because uh, her voice was bad then, and that made her, and she couldn't even re- write. And that right. took care of that. But then this, this after he was there, well, he, and uh, they first thought she could go home after about three weeks of uh, going to, uh, to the, get, having somebody help her down at the, here at Stillwater in the, in, the, uh, in the care center where she is. But then they come up with this uh, this name. The, yeah, the Louis body. Well, let me uh, let me try to cover a couple issues. The reason I asked about Parkinson's is that there is an association between a type of dementia, which is called Louis body, which you've mentioned. Um, for our listeners, Louis body is spelled L-E-W-Y, and it it is about um, it's named after the little things that they can see on a on a in your brain. Um, uh, a, a pathologist can see on a brain, Louis Body, probably named after a guy named Louis. It's associated with Parkinson's disease. And, and, and Jerry, you said she had some balance problems. So that's also a problem with Parkinson's disease. Um, before I talk a little bit more about the dementia, um, she was on Alprazolam, which is Xanax. That's a benzodiazepine. It's a sedative, a very, very short-acting sedative. And I fully support her stopping that. That's not a good choice of a medication for a, an older adult. So Lewy body dementia, um, is there a cure? And the short answer is no. Um, uh, you are, you've been correctly um, advised on that, Jerry. But that doesn't mean there aren't um, a lot of treatments for people with dementia. Dementia is a cognitive progressive, progressive over time decline of your cognitive functioning. Your memory is often the first thing to go, often... Um, uh, over time, you, you start and stop recognizing people and you get more confused and sometimes there's some personality changes, um, things like that. There are a lot of resources for people with dementia. Often they do need to be in a, a care center, as your wife is, sometimes not. But there are support groups. There are physical therapists. There are occupational therapists. There are um, uh, neurologists that specialize in this. And I guess that would be my, my main point is make sure she see, has a neurologist, uh, uh, not a urologist, a neur with an N, neurologist who specializes in Parkinsonian types of things. Another suggestion is to see a geriatrician who specializes in dementia. Last week on this very program, we had Dr. Ann Murray, who is a geriatrician at Hennepin, where I work, who is a specialist on dementia. And um, what I've learned from Dr. Murray is that although I, as a general doctor, know a little something about dementia, I don't have the toolkit in my, in my training to really help families. So see an, uh, if you can find a geriatrician um, that, that, that specializes in dementia, that's a good idea. So I guess the, the whole sum total of that is that there are resources to help, but there are, there's not something to just cure that. Thank you for the call. 651-989-9226. Before we break, let's go to Rita, who's calling from Eden Prairie with a question. Good morning, Rita. Good morning. I'm honored to uh, talk to you. Anyway, my question is this. I had the pneumonia vaccine, the new one, the PCC-13, and when I received it, I uh, uh, my arm was severely uh, sore uh, for 
about two weeks, and I've been dizzy ever since I had the vaccine. The dizziness has gotten a little bit better as day goes, as every day goes on, but it's still there. Should I be concerned about something? Well, thanks, uh, thanks, Rita, for calling. Uh, I don't think so. You, should you be concerned about that? As as it relates to the pneumonia vaccine, I don't think so. People all all the time get a sore arm from a vaccine. Sometimes you even get a low level fever. You can even get that from the flu, you know, shot. Although you're talking about pneumonia shot, which is different. But you can get a, definitely a sore arm. Aches and pains, maybe a little low-level fever. That's just your body's inflammatory reaction to the vaccine. That should dwindle in a day or two. So I don't think any dizziness that is lasting for longer than that, a couple of weeks, has anything to do with the vaccine. With, uh, of course, the the admission that I can be wrong. Uh, but I don't think so. However, you got a new symptom that's that's you didn't have before. And so that I think it's worth looking into. Why are you dizzy? I don't know. That list of possible things is 20 or 30 things long. So you might you might go into somebody and just make sure you're not anemic or you don't have some other problem um, that's causing some dizziness. But is it related to the vaccine? I don't think so. So uh, for listeners, um, the pneumonia vaccine is different than the flu vaccine. That's for bacterial pneumonia. It's indicated for people over age 65. There's two of them. You should get them both because they're very effective. Those work. And so um, not only people over age 65, people who are younger than 65, if you have um, chronic medical conditions like heart disease or lung disease or diabetes, you might get it younger than 65. All right. We need to take a break. We have more calls and more text messages we have to get to here on an open line show. Light rain, breezy conditions here in the Twin Cities. Our CCO temperature reading 46 Hey, good morning. Welcome back to uh, Healthy Matters. It's an open line show today, which means your uh, phone calls and your text messages. No particular topic today. 651-989-9226 and text. And we have a bunch of those, too, uh, that we'll get to. 81807. Uh, but Dick in Minneapolis, Dick, has been waiting there for a while. Dick, what is your question for the doctor? Hi there. I've uh, ate a bad hamburger. I've had diarrhea for three days. What do you suggest? Hey, Dick. Sorry about that. Sounds like an awful weekend you're having. Um, if there's no blood in your stool and you're not don't have a fever, then I don't recommend very much other than eat some chicken soup, eat some crackers, um, some bananas, a bland diet, and try to stay well hydrated. That's all you need to do um, if it's just three days and you lack those symptoms. Now, on the other hand, if there's blood in your stool... If you've got a fever, uncontrollable chills, then you probably need um, to be seen because that could be a more serious type of infection. That's what most of infections, even food-borne toxin infections, you get a hold of some bad food, often, usually, just kind of get better on their own. So that's what I'd suggest. Bland foods, saltine crackers, bananas, toast, Gatorade. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. To try to get some, some electrolytes in you and do see a doctor if you develop any of those more serious symptoms or if you see blood in your stool. Blood's never normal in your stool. All right, good luck, Dick. Thank you. Should we pick up on some text messages? Uh, yeah, let's do that, Danny. Thanks. Somebody, um, first one, this one says, is carbamazepine on a daily basis effective as a migraine preventive? And the answer to that is yes. Carbamazepine is a... Um, 
uh, a seizure medicine. If you look at it, if you Google it, you're probably going to see it's a seizure medicine. But it also works for migraine prevention. People who have migraines a lot, and I'm talking several times a week, so you've got to have many of them a month, more than one or two. You are a candidate for preventive measures. And there's more than just uh, carbamazepine. There's a lot of things um, that do tend to work for that. Topiramate works. Propranolol even works a little bit. Um, sometimes gabapentin works. Sometimes nortriptyline works. There's a lot of things to try. So if you are a migraine sufferer, and um, there's actually a name for that. You're called a migraineur. It's a French word, a migraineur. It sounds kind of silly, but that's the word. Um, and it's happening a lot. I do recommend a preventive thing as opposed to taking a lot of pills to try to treat them once you get them. Like if you're taking a lot of ibuprofen or if you're taking a lot of other medicines that end in the suffix triptan. If you're doing that many times a week, then you should be taking a preventive medicine and carbamazepine is just one of the possibilities. Here's one that says another text message says, please discuss plantar warts. When to try home treatment and when to seek professional care. Where do warts come from? Yeah, they're a virus. Okay. I one time had one on my big toe that was so big I almost had to have my toe taken off. It was huge. I'm kidding. But it, uh, plantar just means it's on the bottom of your foot. And they're the toughest kind to get rid of because the skin is so dang thick on the bottom of your foot. Um, and so they're hard to get rid of. It's caused by a virus, um, and they are not um, dangerous, but they are contagious. In other words, you can spread them to other places and all that kind of stuff. So you can try home remedies. You might not be successful on your foot. So that's what I would do. If you have a little wart on your foot, go to the drugstore and buy some of the, the things they can put on there and give it a try. If it doesn't work after your first efforts – you know, it doesn't go away in a few weeks. I would. That's when I would seek professional care. Uh, either your primary doctor or a dermatologist can. They have a number of things. They can shave it off with a with a blade, and that helps right there. And they can freeze them, and they have other medications they can try. So it, that, that's what I would do. I would try once, and if it doesn't work, go in. All right. I think we have time for a quick phone call, and we'll have another half hour of the show to go. So don't go away. Bruce is calling from St. Paul with a question. Bruce, what is your question? Good morning, doctor. Hey, Bruce. Uh, two questions. Uh, my mom was diagnosed in 2004 with dementia and died in 2010. My uncle was diagnosed with Parkinson's in uh, 2009 and died in 2014. What causes um, both of those diagnoses? Thank great, you. Great questions, Bruce. And the, the short answer is I don't know. Um, and, and nobody does. Uh, but... Both of those, um, Parkinson's is a movement disorder. It's a neurologic problem where your body's coordinated movements don't work. But that's simplifying Parkinson's. So um, it has a lot of manifestations. Um, people have trouble walking. Their gait is affected. Their facial muscles are affected. Their mood is affected. And, and there are, they get a tremor. And indeed, they also get a type of dementia, which I talked about um, earlier, which is called Lewy body dementia. Alzheimer's is a different type of dementia. It is not associated with the movement disorder of Parkinson's, but it is a, a progressive loss of your cognitive function, which can happen um, you, later in life, but it can be a very, very long course, sometimes a couple of years, sometimes a couple of decades um, in a slower progression, and we don't know what causes that either. There's probably a genetic component. Loads of people get it who didn't have a genetic component. So um, I don't know what causes either one of them. 
Um, Alzheimer's disease is one of the top 10 causes of death in the United States, and it's one of them that's on the rise. Almost everything else is on the decline. Even cancer, heart disease, as a percentage of total deaths, they're on the decline because we're getting better at that. Alzheimer's disease, dementia as a cause of death is actually on the increase, probably because people are living longer. We've figured out a lot of cancer and a lot of heart disease, and their brains is the thing that we're not as clear about. So cause, I don't know, but like I told the previous caller, there's plenty of resources. I encourage you to go to the Alzheimer's Foundation. I think it's ALZ.org, but I'm not sure of that. The Alzheimer's Foundation. I encourage people who have a loved one with some memory loss to seek out care by a specialist in neurology or a geriatrician. I think those are good ideas. We want to advise our listeners, uh, folks on the line, stay there. We're going to be taking our usual break at CBS News in here. So if you want to grab a cup of coffee, whatever, come back to the phone and text messages. We'll pick up on those as well. We have, again, another half hour of Healthy Matters to go. This is an open line show. And as we head to the break, um, what about your your uh, your blog site? We should mention that. Yeah, thanks, Denny. Um, go to myhealthymatters.org. I have done a post about the aspirin in older adults study, which we talked about last week. Myhealthymatters.org. This is one of the most popular posts we've ever done. Aspirin and older people, myhealthymatters.org. Excellent. Again, stand by. We'll have another half hour of the show to go in the Twin Cities. Light rain and breezy. Our CCO temperature reading 46. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. It is an open line show today. That means you drive the show, your phone calls and text messages for Dr. David Hilden, your host. And as you can see, Dr., we have uh, both calls and text messages. So should we get to them? Let's get right to it. Let's go to the phone lines. And thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Diane is first up here in Maple Grove. Diane, thanks for waiting. What is your question? Hi, 62 years old and went to the neurologist because of uh, short-term memory issues. And they found out that I had about 30 of these little white spots in my brain scattered throughout. They're not clustered or anything. And he said that I did a neuropsych test as well, which came out inconclusive. And so there's no no real diagnosis or answer. And I'm wondering if you ever heard of this before. Did he have any idea, Lynn, what they what they were, little white spots? He said that they looked like they were little mini strokes, but I've never had a stroke or anything. So he said it it looked like scar tissue. Oh, okay. And I'm sorry, I called you with the wrong name. Um, um, mini stroke. I, I guess I'm not going to be able to say, particularly um, not not um, seeing it, but you can have what we call little um, uh, little small vascular disease issues in your brain. So a stroke is when a blood vessel gets blocked up, and it's usually in a one big blood vessel, and it blocks one part of your um, of your brain. But if you have little teeny blood vessels that are just getting blocked up, you can get like little teeny little spots all over your brain that aren't getting enough oxygen and they probably don't cause you any symptoms, but it's difficult for us to know. And so it's at least possible that those are causing some of your um what what they what they found. It's going to be tough for me beyond that um to know what they were. It if a neurologist thinks they're a bunch of little um you haven't had a symptom. I'm struggling to try to explain this one. You, you're, you haven't had a symptom of a stroke, but 
you are having sort of vague cognitive issues, so much so that you you went and had a, a test about your cognitive functioning. It's possible that that just your brain diffusely isn't getting quite enough oxygen, just in the small vessels, and it's leading to these kind of vague cognitive thinking problems. I would make sure that you just continue to follow up with um, with that neurologist. I would see somebody um, in a neuropsych lab to, to kind of get to that a little bit more. You said it was inconclusive, but I think that that's going to require some ongoing follow-up to monitor your brain function. Um, I'm sorry I don't have better answers for you, Dan. I, I'm having a hard time kind of deciding what to tell you on that one. But continue to go to a neurologist and continue to monitor your cognitive function. And um, it could be that those little white spots don't have anything to do with what you're thinking. It's at least possible. So I'm sorry I don't have a much better answer for them than that. Let's take another call, Doctor, and then we'll grab some uh, text messages. Lynn is calling from Dayton with a question. Lynn, you're on with the doctor. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I've got some questions. We just experienced a seizure, and um, it was very unpleasant. Can you give me any background on seizures as far as is there anything, what causes them, and how to prevent them? I know that's kind of a, yeah. a broad, vague. Lynn, was um, this a new of, seizure for who? Was, yep. Yes. Brand yes. new. How old? Yes. Um, 63. Yeah. So, yeah, that it is a broad question, but, but seizures um, are a focus of point in your brain that is irritated um, and it's firing off and, and causing brain activity to, to go out of whack. It can be caused by any number of things. So as a parent of a small child with epilepsy knows, it can happen in children and you can't figure out why. When it happens in an older adult who has never had a seizure before, we should look for the cause. So the first thing that needs to happen is, is a couple of tests. It's, it's usually an MRI, and we're looking for structural problems in your brain that might be new. What's a structural problem? A tumor, that can be it. Um, a vascular problem, can, that can be a problem. You know, a stroke can lead to a seizure later. And, um, or we're looking for, as I said, tumors. Or we can be looking for bleeding in your brain. Um, sometimes you can have a slow, slow, slow um, oozing of blood inside your skull, and eventually it causes a seizure. So there's a lot of different things. So an MRI of the brain is required. Secondly, we usually get an EEG, which is an encephalogram. They put little electrodes on the brain, and they look for seizure activity uh, on the electrical activity of the brain. Those two things are required. They usually do a bunch of blood tests. And then you see a, you need to be seeing a neurologist, whoever is having these seizures. So it, it is a good idea to find out the cause. It can be any number of those things. And sometimes we just can't find anything in the brain that's causing it. So it might be a metabolic problem. Your electrolytes are screwed up or alcohol can do it, um, can lead to seizures. And so there are things that are non-structural um, but uh, that can lead to it as well. Very low um, electrolytes, magnesium calcium, some of these things, if they're way out of whack, can cause it. So that's a broad differential diagnosis of what could cause seizures. Um, but uh, definitely, if there are a new seizure in your 60s, you need to find out the cause. Okay. Should we look at some uh, text messages? Yeah, thanks, Denny. Let's do that. Um, 
Here's one from, um, I believe it's from Joyce in the beautiful River Valley of St. Croix Falls. Let's see. That's what, It literally says that, the beautiful valley. So it says, could you address zoledronic acid infusion for osteopenia versus Fosamax taken orally? My dentist has some reservations for the infusion because it can produce unhealthy, quote, mushy jaw and gums. And a clinic employee commented she could see that the patient had taken Fosamax when looking at an x-ray. What did she mean? So that is from Joyce in St. Croix Falls. Thank you, Joyce, for your text. So osteopenia is a weakening of the bone mineral density. It is something short of osteoporosis, which is the full-blown loss of mineral density. Very common is people get older in both men and women, um, more common in women, but in both. The, pro- the treatments are very effective. Fosamax orally once a week is very effective, as is an infusion of zoledronic acid. Those are both called bisphosphonates. They do a great job of stopping the loss of bone mineral, um, and so they keep your bones strong. They have a well-known, not common, but well-known side effect, and that is to kind of paradoxically, it, makes, it, it causes a necrosis excuse me, a necrosis of your jawbone, a condition that is what your dentist was referring to as a mushy jaw. It is a real effect. I've seen it a few times. Um, it is, I think, this is outside my area of expertise, but I think it is worse with the infusion. Um, if your osteopenia or if your osteoporosis is really bad, in other words, you're breaking things. You're falling down. You're breaking your wrist. You've got a hip fracture. That's worse than any risk of your jaw. So if you have bad osteoporosis, I do recommend getting that treated with calcium, possibly with one of these two medications we've done, and see a bone specialist because breaking your hip is very serious. Um, if you have just mild osteopenia, then maybe it's not worth the risk to your jawbone and we're Maybe it's not worth the side effect risk. So it's, I guess it's a severity issue, Joyce, um, that I would suggest. If you have just mild bone mineral density loss, maybe you don't need those medications. Dentists will always tell you about that because that's what they see. But they maybe don't see all the hip fractures that are caused from osteoporosis. Mm. But your dentist is kind of right about the possibility. Here's a text message that I've never had before. What can be done about a ruptured testicle? Mm. Oh, boy. So there's about... 50,000 men right now who are all going, oh, my gosh, (laughs) is that a thing? Um, How urgent is it to get it taken care of? Well, thank you to this texter. I don't know to exactly what this person's referring to because your your testes don't rupture, but they have a lot of other problems. Um, The serious ones are this. If you get a bad infection of your testis, um, that's the, the singular, that hurts a whole lot and is dangerous. There's another condition called torsion where it twists. Your, your men, your, your testes are, are hanging on a cord um, um, outside your body, inside the skin, but outside your body. If that cord gets twisted, it's very dangerous and extraordinarily painful. So those are conditions that do require emergent um, look and emergent treatment. So men, if you're having um, pain in your scrotal area, um, that is really, really severe, that you should, well, you should always have that checked out. But that's, those are the dangers. And ap- a rupture of it is something I'm not really as quite as familiar with. Maybe it's a hernia, a ruptured Maybe. hernia. That's a possibility. Um, anything that's causing new and severe pain, um, go have a look. All right. Before we break, let's get Bessie on the phone uh, from uh, Monticello. Bessie, what's your question for the doctor? 
Um, the PVC-13 injection versus the PVF-23 injection. Can you get both of them at the same time, or is there a reason why they want you to wait a year between them? Um, uh, great question, Bessie, and no, you can't get them at the same time. Both of them are for pneumonia. Um, they cover different strains. They work differently, but they mess with each other. So you do need to wait a year between them. But I do recommend for those who are uh, are getting the pneumonia shot, get them both. You just need once in your life the 13, and then you get the the, the 23 one um, a year later. Uh, so do separate them by a year. Oh, okay. Very They're good. effective though, Bessie. But you know, a lot of people say, come on, just give them both now. I'm here. No, nope, yeah. you can't do that. Can't they, do they're it. not effective that way. All right, we'll take a break. We have more show to come here. It's an open line show on Healthy Matters. In the Twin Cities, overcast, breezy. Our CCO temperature reading 46. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today. Your phone calls and text messages for Dr. David Hilden. As you can see, Doctor, we have callers and texters. Let's I tell you what, before text, let's get Jack and Andover's question uh, answered. Uh, Jack, what is your question for Dr. Hilden? Well, Dr. Hilden, I've been uh, dealing with a really bad shoulder for 10 or 12 years approximately, so I bit the bullet and went and had an I've had an injection in it. I went and had an MRI. Uh, the doctor, an orthopedic, said my shoulder rotator cuff is inoperable. He suggested if I was 10 years older, I would have a shoulder replacement. So in your eyes, is there anything I can do now to just, is there exercises or anything that you're looking at? What right, you you're kind of in the middle. It's been around too long to fix it. Yes, yeah, that, and you're too young to get a new shoulder. They don't like to put hardware into younger people because they want they don't want to do it again in your lifetime. Um, I would suggest physical therapy. I would get a sports person or a good physical therapist. Um, you know, I was just in the physical therapy gym at Hennepin where I work, and it looks like a, a fitness center. I mean, they've got all kinds of equipment, but the beauty of it is that these are medically trained professionals who know about range of motion and can work it little by little by little. And so a rotator cuff, um, for listeners, that's the four muscles and surrounding structures that allow your shoulder to rotate. They're connected to your scapula, your shoulder blade. And and they can work you little by little by little. So that's my, my strongest suggestion is see a physical therapist. It won't be one episode. You'll have to go in for repeated treatments. But, you know, over the course of a few months, you could loosen it up and you could strengthen it and reduce pain and get better motion. That's for sure what I would do. You can, you can get injections, um, but that's not something I would do year after year after year. If you're having particular pain, you can get some. You can try injections again. Physical therapist. In fact, if you need one, you live by downtown. There's no better physical therapy group than the group at Hennepin. Um, so you might want to you might want to give them a look. Um, I might as well give that number. Sure. Yeah, six one two eight seven three my MD. You want to see our physical therapist? Six one two eight seven three my MD. That's that's the the number. We have about three minutes to go. Should we grab some text? Here messages? goes some text messages. Um, Let's see. Uh, oh, there's a lot of them here. Yes. Why don't I go back to this where, at the beginning here? That Here's one that says, chronic low B12 level, monthly shots or sublingual pills daily. Which do you think better? It doesn't matter to me. Um, the monthly shots are easier for people. 
so you just have to do it, but you have to go in. But it's only once a month, and I, I like that because you don't have to take a pill every day. Um, B12 deficiency is not particularly common in people um, uh, who have a good diet, so I would just make sure your diet is um, adequate as well as getting the, the replacement. Here's, let's see, um, one that says, I'm having septoplasty surgery, and I've never had any surgeries before. I, I have allergies and asthma, but no other issues. What should I ask the anesthesiologist? I would just ask the anesthesiologist what type of anesthesia, anesthesia they're considering. Some of it's a conscious sedation. Some of it's regional. Some of it is complete um, general anesthesia. You should be okay with any of those um, for your surgery. I would just tell them you have asthma. That's an important thing because that's an airway problem. So it's more what you tell the anesthesiologist. Make sure they know you have asthma. Um, Let's see. I covered that one about the mushy jaws. Here's another one that says, uh, what's the difference between cold allergies and the flu? How long do they last? That's going to be a big one. But a cold is caused by a virus. It lasts between 7 and 10 days usually. Um, Allergies are due to an overactive immune system and can mimic a cold. The flu is also caused by a virus, but you, it's very different from a cold in that you have a high fever and muscle aches all over your body. The cold is, is limited to your chest and above. But a flu, you know it if you have the flu. People often say, yeah, I have a little touch of the flu. I'm going to work, but I have a little flu. No, you don't. If you have influenza, you really know it. You have a high fever and you are it's like you got hit by a truck. Um, but they're hard to distinguish sometimes. Or we have a minute. Okay. How does Alzheimer's cause death, this person says? Well, um, Alzheimer's leads to a lot of problems. You get pneumonias. You get bed sores. You get um, inability to care for yourself. So it's complicated. But Alzheimer's, um, you can't care for yourself. And when the human body can't care for yourself, it can, it can lead to death. I, that, there's probably a lot more I should say about that. I do want to um, remind people, um, speaking of Alzheimer's, Dr. Ann Murray, who was on my show last week, has just completed one of the, the world's largest study about taking aspirin if you're an older adult. Um, I encourage you to go to myhealthymatters.org and learn more about it, myhealthymatters.org, and you can learn much more about the aspirin study. I know we'll be back with another show next week, but for those that maybe need a primary care doc, if not physical therapy. Yeah, exactly. That number again is 612-873-MYMD. I'll say it again, 612-873-6963. Good deal. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks, Denny. In the Twin Cities, 46 degrees, uh, your money straight ahead here on 830-WCCO.